This is Dr. X.H. Balthazar. I am broadcasting once again to present my findings from the world of the supernatural. No new updates this week. As I mentioned, I do not want to continue the investigation into the Elmdale case, and Zed has sent no new cases. However, I thought I would take the opportunity during this transmission to clarify who I am. I imagine there's a bit of confusion regarding myself and the people and places I've mentioned. I will not provide specific details, but rather a broad autobiography. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest of America. My family moved often due to my father's enrollment in the military, but we stayed in the same area for a majority of my adolescence. I was always fascinated with the operation and mechanics of life. I spent most of my time wandering the forest, observing life in its natural state. It led me to pursue my PhD in biology at the University of Washington. I met a lot of brilliant minds that inspired and challenged me to find meaning in the greater parts of human existence. Before I was able to present my dissertation, I was contacted by the director of the Northam Institute. He offered me a residence there and promised it would allow me to research most topics deemed too experimental. I wholeheartedly accepted. The Institute is an anomaly in and of itself. I had heard nothing of merit regarding the history of the place. Upon arrival, it was made clear that it was meant to be kept a secret. The Institute is a large campus spread over ten square miles. It is completely self-sufficient, offering solace to those wishing to quench their mind's curiosity. After being shown to my room, I was introduced to my mentor. He was a quiet scholar fascinated with mutations created by man's interference with nature. He was a good man whose understanding and guidance I am grateful for to this day. I studied under my mentor at the Institute for over three years before I was able to perform research of my own interests. I began researching certain frequencies connected with the human spirit and afterlife. Although it does not seem biological in nature, the earth and spirit are two entities working together in a cyclical nature, an ethereal circle of existence. Thy directors of the Institute had warned me numerous times not to meddle in these things, affairs which only led to a stronger desire in these pursuits. Sadly, I was asked to leave after two years of personal research. However, it was a blessing in disguise. I had freedom, all one can ever ask for. This brings me to this week's transmission. Due to my deep interest in occult issues, I found myself researching mysterious disappearances across the United States. You see, there are certain cases of disappearance where the lead investigators cannot find a trace of the person. The elements of each disappearance lead to confusion, which causes invested parties to lose interest and give up. What intrigues me even further is an additional variable that one would not immediately think to associate. You see, the points of disappearance coincide with America's largest cave systems. These maps line up identically with one another, leading me to believe that these disappearances are of a higher nature. There are no such coincidences when dealing with the paranormal. At the time, I was living in one of the largest clusters on the map up in Washington State. I had read about a few disappearances that fit the profile. One struck me on such a profound level that I began to investigate immediately. 
The facts are as follows. Specific details will be kept private. <clears throat> Young man, in effort to prove himself, had decided to hike a popular trail that connects Washington and Oregon. The hike takes over a day or so to complete, but it had a spiritual significance to the young man. He had hit a wall in his life and felt that a day in the woods alone would allow him the clarity to figure out his future. Family members of the missing didn't think anything of it. The young man was quite the outdoorsman, so they kissed him goodbye and waited for his return. That never happened. Upon arrival, police found his car full of his personal items. His clothes were left beside the beginning of the trail, neatly folded. Even his shoes were left behind. A sweep was conducted of the woods. Footprints were readily available to find. Dogs lost the scent. Hundreds of volunteers found nothing amongst the moss and dirt. After a week, the search was called off. I reached out to the family to see if they had done any sort of investigating on their own. I offered my services to them free of charge. They told me that they had no new news, but they mentioned a spot the search party wasn't able to probe. Ape Cave is a lava tube that extends 12,810 feet in the length of a few feet underneath the forest floor. This hike is usually quite dangerous due to the topography including sharp cutting lava boulders. Ape Cave was discovered by the Mount St. Helens apes who had believed the formation of the underground passageway occurred some 2,000 years ago. The reason why it's called Ape Cave is due to one of the most famous cryptids ever to walk the Americas, Sasquatch. I decided this would be my area of primary investigation. I packed up my kit and made the preparations. I had warm clothing, protective gloves, and several flashlights. According to locals who had trekked the path, it's not meant for beginners. I assured them I wasn't. I arrived on the scene with my kit and headed for the tunnel. I followed the trail that was said to have been taken by the lost man. To get to the cave, you have to go off the beaten trail, literally. It is a few kilometers away, one must travel down a steep decline in order to reach its mouth. I believe it's a tourist destination for avid spelunkers, but I couldn't find the entrance when I had arrived. I noticed an iron staircase and railing covered in rust and moss. I descended carefully until I reached the floor of the tomb. The ground was quite uneven, as I mentioned. I lost my balance a few steps into the hike and cut my forearm quite badly. I took measures to patch myself up and continued on my mission. The trail was horridly difficult to traverse. I couldn't imagine that the young man could have walked it with no clothes or shoes. This piqued my curiosity to look for any blood on the floor, but there was none. At least no visible evidence of this. It didn't appear he came down here, but I continued, nevertheless. It was a mile or so in that I reached the wall. Before me stood a vertical wall about eight feet in height. It's difficult to get over since it's made of the same material as the floor of the tube. However, once one is able to find comfortable placement, it's easy to scale. I climbed over the top and was presented with something I hadn't heard from locals. There was a fork in the tube. I stood before these new paths trying to decide which one to take. Both only showed darkness. So... Like the greatest explorers in history, I flipped a coin. 
This fateful decision took me down the left path, which led me down further and further along the lava tube. At a certain point, the terrain changed to solid granite, which revealed to me that I had traveled further than the approximate distance of Ape Cave. I was in a completely undiscovered area. The granite tunnel led me for a mile or so down into the depths of the earth. I arrived at an opening into a massive cavern filled with stalactites and stalagmites. The initial sounds heard were the dripping of water off the rocks. I directed my flashlight around the area to get a rough distance of this place. All around me was darkness. I decided to pull out my tape recorder and record the next moments of my investigation as ventured further. I have arrived in an undiscovered cavern. I have not been able to designate the height nor the length of this chamber. There are multiple groupings of sharp stalactites that form a labyrinth on the floor. I believe I have found something. There is a pile of bones here behind one of the stalagmites a few yards into the cavern. These appear to be the bones of a small deer. I see the skull of the creature here. It seems to be an adolescent. The other bones scattered all over this section. It looks like a family lost their way and ended up here. How did they get down here? Wait. I have now found a new set of bones. They look human in nature. These are definitely human bones. There are some here that have the same composition yet are much larger than the others. Quite larger, in fact. I am currently holding a femur bone, and it's double the length of mine. This is incredible. I am taking this with me in order to study it further. What was that? There it is again. Where is that coming from? Oh, good lord! Magnificent. I'm turning off the recorder in order to focus on studying this creature. <clears throat> the creature I witnessed was that I could only describe as a massive vampire bat. It stood about seven feet tall. I stand just short of six feet in height, so I was able to base my measurement off of this. The typical vampire bat has a wingspan four times its height, which I assume to be the same. The creature crawled along the granite floor, using the massive claws at the top of its wings. It had no eyes upon closer investigation, which led me to believe this species had adapted to eternal darkness. I remained as still as possible to study this creature. Vampire bats use a version of echolocation to pinpoint their prey. It positioned me, but thankfully did not recognize that there was this intruder in its lair. I was, however, surprised since the creature's abilities and senses must have been heightened due to the lack of eyes. After a moment of trying to locate me, it took off back towards the ceiling. This was my moment to get out of there. I grabbed my pack and hightailed it out towards the opening. I heard the screeches of the creature as I ran for the exit. It was following me as I made my escape. I made it out of the cavern and back up the granite tunnel. I kept my pace until I had reached the fork in the original lava tube. I took the other path, which led to an opening in the ceiling. I managed to climb out of it onto the forest floor. When I reached the outside world, it was already nightfall. I hadn't realized how much time had passed. I was still reeling when I returned to my vehicle at the trail entrance. 
I immediately began my research when I arrived home. First, I analyzed the bones I had collected. I grabbed two of the human bones, one small and one large, both femur bones. The smaller one I collected was human. I dated the bone to recent history, less than 50 years old. This must be the remains of our lost hiker. Upon closer inspection, I noticed the teeth marks had been etched into the exterior. Something had gnawed on it. The marks seemed almost human, but ancient. I believe that a cannibal must have been living in the cave and preyed on the poor, unlucky soul who decided to venture down the tube. The other bone added to this theory. Testing the much larger femur, it was revealed that it belonged to that of a Neanderthal. DNA testing showed the same genetic makeup as modern Homo sapiens, except for a few missing strands. The reason I believe this is Neanderthal is due to a new theory that describes most early humans being cannibalistic. It's why Homo sapiens became the dominant group of evolved apes. We ate our distant relatives. I would need to do more research and grab more samples to test this theory, which I am currently don't have the luxury to perform. You must be curious as to how these certain creatures came to be in that cavern deep within the earth. I could not locate any openings when I was down there. The air was stale and putrid. What I believe to be the answer is a bit of a quack hypothesis, but it's the only reasonable explanation possible. I'm referring to the hollow earth theory. This theory dates back to the 1600s when it was proposed by Edmund Halley. He believed that the crust of the earth, which we reside on, is a thin layer above a hollow shell about 500 miles thick. This shell contains two concentric shells and an innermost core. Each shell has its own atmosphere and magnetic pole. Basically, Earth's within Earth. These areas would allow different types of life to grow in these areas. It makes some logical sense that such a large prehistoric bat was able to survive down in that area for so long. It makes sense why these Neanderthal bones were found in decent condition. Albeit they were scarred like their human counterparts with teeth marks, probably from that bat. I believe that there must be more down there still alive. I would need to go back with more equipment to truly study the area. I haven't thought about it in quite a while. Ah, <sighs> Well, that's all for this transmission. I hope to be back soon with more information regarding my investigations. If you have any tales regarding anomalies or the paranormal, Please send all inquiries and parcels to the Poughkeepsie Post Office. You can look up the location at your local library. I hope you all stay safe out there. Goodbye and good night. Fear Frequency was written by Danny Fossetta and created by Kristen Verbitsky. Produced by Adam Hineker. Voiced by Mallory Bryant. Tate Winston and Andrew Steiner. <laughs>